the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at about something like episode 281. Whoa. Maybe 280 because we've got two episodes that we're going to publish uh, within the next 24 hours. So um, we're still working out what we're going to number them. But um, more than likely, you are listening to episode 281. I am Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And I'm Will Fleming. Well, great to have uh, have you guys here. Welcome back to the podcast New Zealand studio. Uh, Nate, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into uh, into this world of, uh, of technology. Oh, so many things, so many things. So my primary job is I own a company called 3Bit. We're a software house based out of Newmarket. So that's what I do during the day and also a moderator off GeekZone. And I'm just Nate on Twitter. So that's my social media creeds. So being four letters. I'm just at Nate. Did you get it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm just at Nate. Is there a tip there that I can get at Will? Uh, Get on there really, really early on. Sweet ass. (laughs) My name's Will. I'm probably the dumbest out of us people in the room, but that's all right. I have a high Will always says this. He's he's actually really- Emotional. He's he's quite smart. Emotional, you know, whatever. Um, I'm a podcaster. I'm a full-time worker. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I've just become a vlogger. So I love technology. I don't always know how to use it the best, but I would call myself an early adopter. And now I'm just trying to learn how to, you know- learn how to do everything so it's good that i'm here with you guys mm. oh well, thanks yep. uh, thank you both for uh, for joining us um lots to get through now first up i wanted to chat a little bit around these new uh, new taxi rules that have uh, the government announced of, of coming into play um and probably more than just diving into um the fact that the government has said they're sort of going going to um modernize the rules as far as um or regulations around um uh, taxis and I guess the idea there is the the sort of shake-up is really designed um, to bring things into this modern age where it's actually not so important for a driver to have all that you know local knowledge because you know a GPS is is you know is actually in most cases or many cases depending on exactly where you're going um, can give a better result shall we say than um, than the local knowledge and um, I'm sure amongst our listeners and probably amongst those of us in this room, one or two of us have, have probably had the odd bad experience where uh, we felt we haven't been taken by the best uh, route um, or we've actually fired up our GPS in our car and said, hey, why don't you go, uh, why don't you go this way to get the right way? And, um, um, of course, Uber has, has helped to... Uh, uh, help to change that. So there's a, there's some interesting changes going going on there. Um, they're going to be considered um, by Parliament as part of um, the Land Transport Amendment Bill this year. Um, that are going to push that along. Um, but in the in the meantime, um, what we're what we've heard from Uber is they're basically uh, jumping the gun. They're doing what they've done around the world which is to ignore local regulation so at the moment if you want to be an uber driver well actually not at the moment a week or two ago if you wanted to become an uber driver uh, and you weren't an existing taxi driver you didn't have that uh, passenger endorsement on your license uh, you know you had to jump through some hoops about fifteen hundred dollars worth uh, before you could get to that point where you could be a driver um, now and this is a very i think it's worth noting that this is a very different model from overseas whereas in the u.s 
Um, you've got to submit your insurance details. You've got to submit to a police uh, check, I think it is. But you, any Joe Blogs doesn't need to have that tax endorsement. So you'll find that if you're an Uber here in NZ, um, it'll tend to be a, a cab that just doesn't have its lights and the, the uh, ma- magnets on the sides of the doors. Traditionally speaking, although Traditionally. there's a bunch now that are, that are pure Uber. Great. Um, but in the States, you you know, it's quite easy to jump in a, the um, car of someone who, you know, could be a, a truck driver or a teacher or, or just someone completely random. So it is a lot, can I say, can I say sort of looser in inverted commas than it is here? Um, so the uh, yeah, so it was it was costing uh, fifteen hundred to sort of jump through those those hoops um, and to get that P endorsement. Um, now the that that you know area knowledge certificate and um, you know that that's being dropped and they're saying that that's going to probably um, re- you know reduce that fifteen hundred dollar cost down by you know maybe four hundred maybe seven hundred dollars somewhere in that sort of range. Uh, but Uber have just you know jumped the gun entirely and said, look, you don't need any of that anymore. Flag having your uh, your P endorsement. Anyone can come and uh, come and drive for us. Uh, it costs you basically twenty twenty dollars uh, to come on board as an Uber driver. Of course, that doesn't leave room for police checks and other sorts of things. That um, um, I guess there's been some some controversy around around that internationally around the fact that Uber you know maybe doesn't require those sort of hoops. But then on the flip side, of course, Uber. You know, verifies who their drivers are, who their passengers are. You know where they are at any time. There's, you know, there, there, there's there's a huge amount of data there, and there's that whole rating aspect, much like what we see on Trade Me, where you get that sort of, uh, you know, confidence. So, I mean, what do you guys think about this? Are, are all of the sort of the the smarts of the new model that Uber delivers? Do they do they, um, you know, cover the sins that they're sort of breaking the the regulations and the and the laws of it? Is this just necessary, or is this? Uh, just them being greedy and uh, trying to get in and get their market share. I think Uber has that model, and you can see it in a very disruptive overseas model where they just go into markets, and it's that whole thing, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. So they'll tend to go into market, and then there's been stories all over the place. And I think, Paul, when you're in Vegas, is Uber in Vegas now? Because um, they, they, they They're back in Vegas. So they, they were in Vegas, they got kicked out because right. they broke, you know, they weren't playing by the rules, and then, yeah, I guess the local government just decided... Uh, actually, this is a downside for them not having Uber there. It's it's pretty old school, and it, you know, and, and it's good for them to have it. Uh, you know, upset the t- the the local cabbies, of course. Um, but yeah, you you can Uber now in um, in Vegas a- again. Although there there are some challenges with it. I, I hear there can mm. be some challenges. So, so that's a classic example where they've wandered and they haven't had permission to do it. So they've just sort of gone in and done it. I I really like Uber. I think it's a fantastic technology. One of my biggest pet peeves when booking a cab and you would have had this as well um you go to leave and you go to pay by credit card and the machine doesn't work everyone else is you'll be with a group of friends everyone else has gone to the restaurant you're still sitting there the machine doesn't work so they reset it and then you look at the thing and you go hold on this is higher than what's on the meter and he'll go oh there's a five dollar or something ridiculous credit card or transit or fbos processing fee which annoys me the thing i like most about uber is as soon as the the trip's over he goes finish and it just debits my credit card, and we leave. It's done. I don't have to worry about um, standing waiting for all that sort of stuff. There's no surcharge. And if you're working for someone else and you're expensing this, as soon as it's finished, you get a receipt not only showing you where you were picked up, what time you were picked up, what route you took, when you were dropped off, who your driver was, and you can provide up to five stars of feedback. So the concept, the concept is good, but is it fair? Is it fair on our New Zealand taxi companies and taxi drivers 
because a chunk of that revenue, whatever it is, you know, twenty percent or so now is going offshore to the big Silicon Valley giant that is yeah. Uber, sixty billion dollar uh, entity. Um, is it right that we just let them, you know, flaunt the laws and um, and go with it because the technology is cool? Or you know, I'm uh, I'm curious. Well, here's one thing from me. This is Will speaking. I've been quiet, pondering in the background. What's going on? Um, I've never taken an Uber, but I plan to change that soon. I personally think that if we're trying to change something, it's because we're stopping progress. You can't. It's going to happen. Will, you, you know need to I try mean? my Uber invite code. UberNZ is my uh, is my invite code, so you can get a free ride. There you go. And, and what, just, do you, what do you get out of it, Paul? <laughs> and I get a free ride too, so it works well for Yeah, everyone. a bit of disclosure. I think we should both go for a run together. <laughs> Runner should be our new business. Um, I mean, here's the thing. If the company in California or wherever it is is getting rich, it's because they've got something good that we want. Uh, so I'm all on board with that. I think everyone agrees taxis just don't work but that was the solution for a wee while you know now there's another option i think we're just in a transition and it's going to happen whether we like it or not i think um, people need to look at what's popular and current and maybe you have different generations Um, i feel stink for the taxi drivers who are getting less fares but you know that's how surely business works right if technology comes in and makes it better and simpler and easier then Go. Thumbs up. Let's do it. I am going to cheat a little bit on my second comment with it. Rod Drew made a a fantastic comment, I thought, on the MBR. Um, And he talked about instead of getting upset about Uber coming in, why don't the taxi companies innovate? And the three things, and I've got a screenshot here, is um, why don't the local taxi companies, A, have a a map-based booking app so you can see where it is. You can store a credit card for payment, which is my big bugbear, and then be able to send a receipt by email once the trip is over. Well, basically copy Uber, and I think we've discussed that on the show many times. I mean, I don't think an app on its own is going to solve it for an individual cab company because lots of people travel and so on. I think the answer to that would be actually all the cab, you know, the cab companies globally working out a model to actually all link up. Um, but they're all and take Uber on or and, partner yeah, with Uber. Yeah, no, to compete with Uber, you know, directly. You know, one one combined entity, which is the combined taxi companies of the planet, um, because otherwise they'll all be gone in five years or, or so anyway. You know, mm. or the large majority. You know, ninety percent of them will be off the road. Uh, you know, as we've seen in San Francisco and so on. There's still some room for for cabs that sort of you know sit on stands and and so on. But uh, there will be a point where that where you know it falls below a level where that's actually practical and there'll be some downsides for us as as consumers you know you 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 know walk out of a bar and there used to be taxis sort of lined up outside there and um and so on but um the the downsides in most cases i think are uh, um are pretty slim compared to the upsides anyway we'll move on on that one because i know we've discussed uber um on one or two occasions uh, before so we don't want to dive in uh, too too heavily to uh, to that one. Um, just for those that are that are curious, that like to sort of play with the new versions of uh, of Windows, those that are on the Windows uh, Insider program, uh, Microsoft have released a new version of um, of Windows 10. This is the um, chance to have a little bit of a look at this anniversary update that we spoke about um, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've been trying it out here. Actually, we've got it installed on the um, HP X2 or the HP Spectra X2, which is um, um, one one of HP's uh, two-in-one sort of t- uh, tablet devices with the stylus there. 
um, and just you know trying out some of those new handwriting features and other bits and pieces. It's um, yeah, it's a nice refresh from uh, from Microsoft, and uh, you know it's good to uh, good to see this this you know some of these new more um, cutting edge uh, devices like the uh, like the X2 uh, getting some love with uh, with good new uh, software features coming through there and. Um, in that new update, um, and of course that'll be available sort of you know broadly for for you know all users of Windows 10 uh, later on in the year. Now, um, there's an interesting uh, story that came through about um, hacking of um, of the Swift uh, system. Now, anyone that's been involved in doing international money transfers may have come across. The term SWIFT, Nate. This would be something in in your business. Yeah, doing I read, internationally. You you would have heard of this. I read about this and, and had a bit of a chuckle to myself. So, it, what pretty much has happened is the Bangladesh Bank there. So SWIFT is an international um, money transfer system that the banks use um, internally to transfer money from from here to say the states and whatever. And what had happened is this particular the Bangladesh Bank just the, the central bank of Bang- Bangladesh, Bangladesh just their security was so terrible and the only reason that these hackers got caught really was that they had a typo in one of the transfers and the main swift body thought oh this is a little bit strange dialed them up and was like hey what's going on and there's all sorts of things that they identified like the, the network hardware was just terribly set up and even basic things like they actually have a swift room where the swift transfers all happen and that wasn't monitored 24 7 and if they've even had some strange things where they actually printed out reports each day of all the transfers, it just it sounds like the most world's most backwards bank. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty archaic, right? And um, the pack has basically got away initially with um, close to a billion dollars. Um, then they um, they managed to cancel you know a whole bunch of that, but um, they were they were left short of um, what was it sort of something like um, eighty eighty one million eighty one million uh, US dollars, so over one hundred and twenty million that uh, just gone lost. Um, just, you think in your head like the bank is the most fundamental part of society, and you think of you know it'd be really secure, very very well written, and no, these guys were just hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. And, it's, and the guys that took the money, it got laundered, I think it was through the Philippines or something like that, and went from Philippines. It's like, it sounds like a Bond movie. Like the, the money went to the casino and then got laundered out to all sorts of bank accounts and poof, it's gone. Just hilarious. And if, it's your, if it's your money, obviously, it's not hilarious. But from a, you know, you must see this and for, as well, Paul. And for an economy, economy like that, that, um, you know, they, they probably value every dollar a, a little bit more than, uh, than you know, some of the, some of the Western economies. Uh, the you know the impact of that a lot bigger, but you know, of course, when you're in one of those poorer economies, you might not have the same amount to in- invest in, uh, in security, and or you might not feel like you should invest as much in security and other things because uh, you know your your money is, is is worth so much more to you. I'd say they'd probably be investing it now, though. The word is that uh, it was connected to a switch that was worth about a network switch that was worth uh, about ten dollars. Sounds like a great bit of kit. Mm. So some really amazing uh, high-end uh, banking-grade security there. Um, I'm uh, I'm hoping that um, that we have something something be- better here, and um, I know we do. Of course, we've had um, do we though? Uh, James Bergen from um, ASB on the show before, and uh, had some chats to him around security. And uh, yes, yeah, certainly the standards here in New Zealand are somewhat different to uh, to what the Bangladesh Central. I Bank hate to has. do a blatant plug, but I'm assuming Paul, this is where partnering with a, a competent IT provider such as yourselves. 
Guerrilla technology is very important. That's right. Come in and do a security audit, work out what should be sorted, training for staff, putting the right systems in place. Yep. Just a question for, and that's a lovely plug. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for my commission at the end of this. This is awesome. What are we going to do? We'll catch an Uber with (laughs) the money we earn. Um, For you you guys in in the tech world, tech gurus, you know, with all these new technologies that are coming out, they all require passwords. How do you guys deal with that? And I don't mean to, you know, dropkick your show, Paul, but I'm finding it a real challenge to remember all logins for everything. Take Uber. I'm sure there's a login for that. Or or maybe there's not. Maybe there's an auto login. But the thing is, it's going to eventually bite you in the butt, right, where you yeah. forget everything, you get lazy, you jump on a device or a phone, and all of a sudden, you know, all your money's gone, like out of the bank. How are you guys dealing with that? I, I don't know. I'll- I don't know how you maintain your password and stuff, but I've got, a, in essence, what's called a password manager. So it's a, a secure, um, pretty much like a vault where all my different passwords are kept. Um, so I do that as part of, of that sort of the first step. The second step is I enable a thing called two-factor um, authentication, 2FA, which, which is where um, even if I log into a, a, net, a, a system, say I log into Twitter, Twitter will send me a text message and say, this is a code. So even if I know or my password gets compromised, that person is highly unlikely to have my cell phone. So it just gives – it's like another layer of, of, of security. So if you don't have 2FA, two-factor authentication, enabled on all your online stuff where it is available, highly recommend it because it just means that if your passwords are compromised, you've got sort of a backup or a, a full stop that people – obviously, if they've got your phone, then you're a little bit stuffed. But – it just stops anyone getting into your account if you know you, you logged into something that you thought was the Gmail login facility and it's not. At least they can't get past that because they don't have your phone. Yeah, and and Nate's covered that well. That's um, that's, a that's good awesome. One. Probably the wrong area for me to ask on this podcast. No, but no, it's good. It's it's good. That's that's um, you know I think that's good advice for for everyone to be you know aware of. And you know the more critical your information is, the more important it is to have that multi-factor or or two-factor or authentication. Um, and most of us will already be used to it from our internet banking. You know, most times if you need to do any sort of uh, transaction of of size through your internet banking. Um, there's a level of that, and uh, and certainly those in in uh, in business as well. And um, yeah, there's there's certainly a, a lot of issues that go on within businesses with um, uh, dodgy transactions and and bits and pieces. So having those layers is uh, is really really important. I met with a company today actually that uh, um, was sharing with me a few a few details of how. Uh, um, how they were taken for a little bit of a ride with um, with with some of their their funds um, uh, by someone being somewhat unscrupulous. Um, now we've um, we've got this thing that's been been in the media for um, for for a little while, um, but it's um, about the uh, European Union regulators going after uh, after Google and uh, and Android, and there's the potential. Uh, for Google to get hit with some um, some pretty massive fines, and what it seems to be all about for those that are that are curious, you know, why why is this happening? Of course, we remember going back uh, um, a few years when uh, when Microsoft got got hit by uh, fines from. Uh, um, the EU, EU as well. There was US government as well, didn't they? They, got- uh, they, they, yeah, they got hit with sort of antitrust stuff on, um, you know, on both sides. So on the US and um, and and in Europe, uh, it was a Europe that tends to come down pretty hefty on the fines front. So uh, they've worked out a good way to uh, 
earn some um, well more than more than pocket change um, in most cases. So uh, so what we're hearing is the um, uh, the 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 European um, um, Union are. complaining really around the fact that um, when you buy an Android phone it basically comes locked in with all of the key apps from Google uh, YouTube Google Maps Chrome etc and that that's part of the agreement so if somebody you know let's you know uh, pick one so Samsung they want to have Android on their phone. They want access to the Google Play Store. Uh, then part of the contract is basically they have to be pushing all this other um, uh, Google stuff out as part of it. They can't sort of decide, oh, we're not going to, we're not actually going to include those uh, on the on the device. So um, yeah, basically um, there's there's a bit of a challenge going on there. Now one of the curious things is that uh, Microsoft, I believe, were one of those who uh, who sort of were kicking up the stink. Uh, initially around this and saying, hey, this is uh, is not very fair. And of course, you know, going back in time, it was Microsoft that were getting uh, getting beat, beaten up um, by uh, the the European Union for uh, for bundling Internet Explorer uh, with Windows, and then it got issue, into issues with uh, I think the Media Player um, as well. So the curious thing there is that um, Google and Microsoft have now. Uh, buddied up um, and that that's really just happened uh, in the last few days and they're uh, they're calling uh, a truce um, on regulatory disputes like this where uh, where they're actually not going to be um, uh, picking on the other uh, on the other party so I thought that's um, you know just as this thing sort of been been in the media a bit and uh, uh, and then suddenly these guys uh, call a truce and of course uh, you know Google were were on the um, the other side previously, of course, were complaining about Microsoft and and uh, and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious on this that they they're calling um you know a truce because they're they're pretty competitive uh, you know companies in a, in, a, in a lot of ways. But maybe they're uh, they're just sick of all the um, the legal costs and the legal wranglings and and how much that um, that holds things up. It just ends up being like a tit for tat, really, isn't it? They sort of just keep picking on each other, and there's such behemoths that they continue on and. Yeah, no, it's like a digital ceasefire, sort of. How it, it is last. odd, though, because if things aren't fair, then it should be fixed, shouldn't it? You know, if things are imbalanced towards one or the other of the big, of those big players, um, whereas if now that they're not going to complain about the others, I guess it's going to take smaller, uh, smaller companies to come in and, and complain who might not get uh, noticed as much. Well, it might take the consumer to decide, you know, and maybe that's the trick to all of these things we're talking about. Same with taxi versus Uber. (laughs) Like, no one's talking about what does it mean for the customer, you know. And I think what's happening now is, and I'm no uh, expert, but people, are their BS detectors are in full swing, you know. So things (laughs) that worked some time ago, it's just not working now. So don't sell me BS because we're going to turn around, we're going to talk about it, and all of a sudden these guys are scrambling, and it feels like they're scrambling. You know, they're scrambling to get the advantage. Where if you look at a Elon Musk or something, he's a make stuff that helps people, fixes people, and people will flood in and buy it off you. You know, show me Microsoft and Google why that app comes pre-installed and how it's going to help me, and I'm your mate. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a curious one. And on that front, actually, and talking about browsers, because it was Microsoft that got in trouble for you know bundling Internet Explorer back in the day. Uh, now they're bundling Chrome on Android. Um, Opera, who who you know manufactured a browser for a long, long time, but you know average person in the street probably hasn't heard of the Opera browser uh, because it's got such a small market market share. And um, they, but they've um, they've been innovating, just like what you're talking about there, Will. Uh, now they've released a, um, a developer or, or beta version of um, of the browser that bundles a free um, VPN or, or proxy type service that will, you know, I guess offer uh, you know a couple of advantages for uh, for users. Uh, you know, one is if you're on some sort of free Wi-Fi, it gives you a level of of, of privacy. Uh, in terms of uh, you know securing your content between uh, between you and um, and them, so your your uh, your traffic is going to be going through um, Opera, um, and then the other is if you're accessing services that are focused on a particular region, such as uh, Netflix, you want to access the US Netflix. Um, you, in theory, will be able to do that over Opera um, without having to have some other third party service potentially. Um, depending on how quickly Netflix get on and, and close them down, but there are there are certainly other ones uh, like Amazon that aren't uh, aren't closing theirs down as much as uh, what we're seeing from um, from Netflix. So, I mean, that sounds to me like some um, some some good innovation and something that would uh, would likely bring users back uh, to Opera or or to Opera for the first time. Mm. Well, you have to find something that's helpful, right? I mean, a lot of people who I know they're Firefox or Chrome and they're just because it works, you know, and for you to change for something free, remember, that's the thing. It's all for free. So it's got to be a good draw card. And I think they missed the step of explaining to me, the average day buff head, how, why that will help me. What I don't even know the risks I'm taking when I'm in a cafe. I'm just there to have a coffee. Don't I don't know what VPN and, you know. So explain to me why it's going to be awesome in an easy way, and then, I, again, I'll be your mate. But I think it's not enough saying you'll be protected. Why is that important, you know? It's like the, I don't know, should I go into it, Paul? I don't want to derail your show more. But it, what took John Oliver to go into the streets to talk about the stuff Edward Snowden was saying, but they had to use it through the dick pic. They had to say, so you're okay with people seeing your stuff? I don't care. What about your dick pic? And everyone said, whoa, that's against my rights. Mm, mm. So, you know, when you say VPN and stuff, it's kind of like that's just one step. And I wonder if these companies are considering that or if it's the old model where they someone signs it off and says, that's a great idea. That'll get numbers up, shares up. But it's not that world, right? It's a different one. Well, there's a bit of a challenge there, isn't there, Nate, in that most um, you know everyday computer users wouldn't, really consider it to be a risk to use you know public wi-fi they just think that's okay whereas there's a potential for somebody to be listening in on your traffic and your passwords and whatever else is uh, is going across that connection that's going across unencrypted and of course the more time goes on there's less that's unencrypted uh, um and so the the risks go down but um you know there's a potential to sort of um you know fake things there in terms of encrypted traffic too you know i think there's a big there has been a big paradigm shift thinking about go back five or six years when um, the ISPs were selling wireless routers. They used to ship by default, no security on. So you could be sitting there and 
you know, your neighbor's Wi-Fi pops up and you can be sitting there browsing using their internet. Complete difference now. Everything's it's not so, sent out. Not common at all, lock, is it? So no, it's pretty much everything else is sent out, yeah. locked out now. And, and people would just leave it unlocked because they could get their laptop, connect to it, and it would work without thinking, hey, look, everyone else in the neighborhood can also get to it as well. So, yeah, I, I agree with the, the VPN thing. I, I do wonder if it's, it's more of a, a box-ticking thing that the marketing guys are doing. Um, my other concern would be what happens if someone's browsing something that's objectionable through that VPN? Because that's something, um, you know, one thing I forgot to mention, I also own a cafe and we provide free Wi-Fi to our customers. And I've always been conscious that if someone accesses something through our internet, we're then liable for, you know... Something that's illegal, then, yeah, uh, yeah you, you could get your connection cut off. So instance. what happens with with um, Opera if, something, if someone does that as well? So, yeah, watch the space, I think, in that... Or maybe they'll all start. Maybe this is a groundbreaking well, thing and all the browsers Well, we're sort of moving to this, this world where, you know, it's really being pushed that we should have this extreme level of, of privacy. And um, I'm actually, I'm a little bit concerned about that from, um, you know, from a perspective of actually being able to catch uh, catch the crooks because there is, uh, there are, you know, there are so many times where uh, these varying bits and pieces of information get, get used to, uh, to catch people. I mean, very common in this country for... Um, you know the police to get text messages to intercept phone calls and so on if you do all of that encrypted then you know they don't they don't have any ability to get it to get it uh you know most most of those sorts of uh those sorts of things and so there will actually be an Im- impact um on the you know i guess that sort of you know criminal underworld and uh their their ways of capturing in the past you know, aren't going to work when all of that stuff happens encrypted mm. and, the, and the police well, can't look, get their hands on it. What's happened? Was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? Switched on point-to-point encryption, which yeah. I actually, to be honest, I already thought they had. But they've just switched it on so that all your messages sent from your phone to your friend's phone are encrypted. They can't see what it is. And, you know, only between you two, that's the only way. So even if there's someone listening in, they're not going to be able to decrypt that as well. And WhatsApp's, is it, I think it, was the big, it is the biggest point-to-point thing, that, and that's why Facebook took them out bought them out sorry um so yeah we are changing in a we are in an ever-changing world and i think encryption is becoming more mainstream and more accepted i mean for your police point though they need to be proactive and get be in this room talking to you guys you know what i mean that's what i'm saying these are old models and that world's gone so yeah. jump would, on board it would be one. interesting to have a bit more discussion with them i did have a chat to the uh um, I think it was the sort of chief information officer or head of technology at uh, New Zealand Police going back, uh, you know, probably a year or two ago. We should uh, we should fire up a bit of discussion and and you know how concerned are they around that stuff? It's a they good point. Will be rolling out the carpet and saying, "You guys, we're doing this because the crims are going to use technology. Everyday blockhead like me is going to use technology and doesn't even know they're doing illegal things." Hmm. And I don't know. It should be happening now. Needs to be more discussion on it. Um, now, a couple of other things that are happening that are quite cool. Um, Oculus um, have announced that uh, Minecraft is now available for the Gear VR. Um, so, if you've got a, um, a Samsung uh, smartphone and you've got their um, their Gear VR or virtual reality um, headset add-on for your phone, you can now get in there and. Um, get into minecraft um the it's six dollars 99 so it's it's not a big deal to sort of jump on board and actually be able to get into that kind of uh, immersive um 3d experience so i think this this um we're going to see more and more announcements like this but minecraft is one that 
you know, I think um, you know makes a lot of sense from a, a virtual reality perspective. I think that will will look good, will work well, um, and you know, pretty small step for them to go to make uh, make available. But well, we haven't seen a huge amount of content, in, you know, virtual reality wise just yet. So no. this is cool. Are but, the heads still, still quite expensive? Uh, the, I think they're down to what um, maybe a hundred US, so probably about no, one hundred and fifty to two hundred at the most in New Zealand. Yeah, it's something me and um, some of my friends have been talking about that everyone's hustling for this VR, but no one knows what content to use it on, you know? So it makes sense it's on a game, right? Because you can look where you need to look. But how do you implement that? How do you tell a story where you can look wherever you want? And I think that's the challenge now, and whoever works that out is going to be, you know, the next kind of frontier. I hope it's not another Google Glasses where it's just a fad, <laughs> you know, that people are like, oh, that's cool, but actually I don't want to be in pitch black for hours. I like that I can look around the room and play my game and check my phone, you know? So Yeah, th- th- I'm, not, I'm not convinced on exactly where we're going to land on the virtual reality and augmented reality stuff. It's cool. Some of it does work work well. Um, but in terms of, yeah, what's going to be the, the right fit, where we're going to land, how heavy is the stuff going to be, um, yeah, we, the, the, there's, a, there's a lot of unknown there. I think, you know, definitely there's commercial applications and there's fun sort of gaming applications. Um, but, you know, how, how much attention that, that, it, that a chat attracts more sort of broadly, um, yet, to, yet, to find, yet to find out. So, Paul, Paul, what about a uh, VR podcast? Where you can look around, you can be in the room with us. Everyone is in the room with us. In fact, they're they're in a better position because they don't have to look at our ugly True mugs, that. and they True can imagine that. what we might look like. And maybe they uh, like ugly. They mugs. can uh, they can feel as though they're sitting in the room, even as even while they're maybe driving. It's true. Uh, whereas if you had your virtual reality headset on and you're in this room and you were driving, uh, it would need to be in a few years' time when you're in an <laughs> autonomous car. Which brings us to the next subject. Nice segue. Um, nice segue. Elon Musk. Um, who will mention mentioned before um, of Tesla is uh, is saying that their stats indicate autonomous driving is already fifty percent safer than human driving, and the way they're getting these stats is they're having a look um, because of course they've got their uh, their their autonomous or semi autonomous um, uh, mode, their autopilot mode for when you're out on the um, uh, the highways, and of course we we talked. I think it was maybe last week um, around that Tesla video um, over the bridge of one year dri- driving over the uh, the Auckland Harbour Bridge. Um, uh, uh, you know, recently, and uh, yeah, basically what they're doing is they're they're taking the time, uh, average time that uh, somebody is in a Tesla. Um, either on autonomous or, or um, autopilot mode and with autopilot mode off and then they're comparing those stats with how often the airbags are triggered. Now, I don't know their exact breakdown because you probably expect there to be less accidents on the motorway anyway um, and there's a whole, there's probably a whole lot of deep discussions around around that data um, but it does it does make sense to me that when you're in an autonomous sort of mode you've basically got all of the safety features turned on your vehicle is looking for you to get close to another vehicle if you get too close it's slamming on the brakes you know, there's all of these sensors that are that are being triggered you've got uh, this computer with a 360 degree view all these smarts you know um, this is giving us eyes in the back of our heads and you know from a technological uh, standpoint so it should be safer, right? That's our expectation. Well, we've already autopilot planes and no one bats an eyelid. So if you just drive it out of your drive, turn it on and it goes, 
uh, we just happen to be like imagine what the first people who flew planes they'd be having this exact conversation or the first autopilot in a plane you know they'd be like I'm never pushing that button but now you don't bat an eyelid so I think it's cool I embrace that technology and I want that well, the thing is with the, the cars and the sensors is the, the car the, the car's going to be able to respond a lot quicker than a human is because there's so many more parameters that it's looking out for. Plus, you know, the computer's not going to get distracted by the wife that's talking to you or the kids that are screaming in the back or that music track you're listening to or whatever. So, um, Just like that. If we were driving and if you can hear that in the background, we might have crashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's furiously trying to work out how to mute on his uh, surface. We won't let this podcast crash, though. No. Freestyling. <laughs> um, and I've, I, it wasn't this, the video that um, you linked us through, Paul, with the, the truck that tried to swerve. And I, I've also seen a, a Tesla where a guy's driving down the inside line of a whole lot of traffic. Um, this is in the States, so they're obviously driving on the, uh, the opposite side of the road from us. And a car c- comes across his point of view, and his car actually breaks, and he doesn't even break. And if the car hadn't braked, he would have t-boned this car and game over and i remember hearing the driver just being like holy crap you know he didn't even realize the car was there until after the car had brought him to a complete stop so i think this technology is exciting and because it's also as i understand it's uploading that data back to tesla isn't it it's not you know, yeah, all, so they've, all the, they've already they got... can analyze all this so it's it's yep. if something does come up and because it's such a software driven thing which i think is absolutely fantastic is that they can provide um, over the year, OTA updates to Tesla. So your car's sitting at home and they, you know, there's a bug in the, the firmware or whatever. They can then send this update and everyone's cars sort of just update overnight. And there's, of course, goes, a flip side to that with bad, bad software updates, yeah, yeah. isn't If there? it goes badly, everyone's car rams into their carriage door. It's still they, they've, got to, they've got to get that better than, you know, better than Microsoft's bad days or Apple's bad days, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure they've got lots of, lots, of, lots of layers around that. And Tesla seem to be doing pretty well so far, to be fair. Um, so I, I do like that aspect. Now, um, one other topic that I did want to dive into is these new uh, longer life um, batteries that we're potentially going to see. Um, the uh, University of uh, California, um, Irvine, um, is where they've um, uh, made a pretty cool discovery. Um, I was talking about this on the Paul Henry show um, yesterday. And basically, using um, nanowires, which they've they've been researching for quite some time in terms of how how can they uh, you know leverage the uh, nanowires within batteries because they're they're highly conductive. Um, that they've had all these thoughts that this is the way to go, uh, but some challenges. They seem to have um, broken through that with this um, latest uh, research and solved some of these uh, brittleness uh, challenges that they've had uh, in the past. Um, with this um, gel that they um, that they coat these nanowires in, um, and I guess the big headline point is that at the moment a battery that you can charge and recharge you can do for you know at the top end probably you know seven thousand uh, charge recharge um, you know type cycles maybe ten years right those sort of high end batteries that you get um, in in say a, an electric vehicle. Um, you know, you might get ten years out of those, but at, at the ten-year point, you've got to go and buy them all over again. And for that type of vehicle, it can be tens of thousands of dollars to do it. These new batteries—they're talking about two hundred thousand uh, charge cycles and not seeing any deterioration. So, Crazy. you know, if you if you think of two hundred thousand, uh, let's say you're going to you know charge daily, divide that by three hundred sixty-five. I mean, you're still dealing with over five hundred years. Uh, as a potential lifespan now there's a whole lot more work to do behind the scenes 
Um, but that to me seems pretty huge in terms of the transformation that would bring, um, you know, what that, that, that means from a perspective of the challenges we have today with having to recycle things, the cost of putting, you know, batteries into, into, our, into our homes to maybe, you know, buy power when they're at off-peak rates and store it until we, we want it, um, cars, all these sorts of things. Um, Will, is this, I mean, if this happens, and, you know, I guess it takes a few years to get from, you know, being in the research lab to reality, how big do you think this change could, could be in, in, in terms of its impact? Well, as long as they're honest and it really will last that long. I mean, they're not saying it lasts 500 years, but it, even if a, a battery were to last 20 or 30 years compared to, I mean, in your smartphone now, right, you know, it gets two or three years old or, or an iPod that you got kicking around and, you know, suddenly the only way to use it is while it's actually plugged into a cable, right, because it just runs out so quick. Mm-hmm. Laptops being the same. You know, if you've got a laptop that's always in a docking station, You'll find as time progresses, it, the the time on charge, or you'll be able to run on battery, is going to get is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So you need to get a brand new battery for it. As with any phone that's like a Samsung, you have to change the battery. I, I think it's fantastic because I think it's going to have massive ramifications for electric cars. Because if you think um, you can buy an electric car and pretty much as you know, five hundred years, it's going to be rusted well out by then. The the resale value of any electric cars is going to go through the roof because instead of going oh well the batteries are only going to last me say fifth oh, that's ten years and it's already at eight years the value is going to be quite low because you've only got two more years of useful life whereas if you've got four hundred and ninety years left yeah I think that electric cars are then going to hold well, their residual well, it values would, very, it would change well. the way that we would actually think about you know from a manufacturing and a production standpoint um, you know and we we had the discussion uh, last week about module about you know the, the company with a concept of you know, being able to you know change the things that you want to change, and um, you know keep keep things for you know ten twenty years by a product that's going to last you a long time. And you know if if we had these batteries that would last forever, um, you know you look at say a Tesla vehicle, um, half you know half or more of the cost of some of these vehicles actually relates to the battery. Hmm. So if you take that bit out and say, well, okay, they design a generic battery like we've got our double A's and our D's and all those sort of things on a, on a on a you know and, and other you know bigger batteries um, and and then genericize that with this type of battery you know you could buy your car quite independent of the of the batteries because you know you you own a set of batteries um, so you go and buy your car your thirty thousand uh, US dollar uh, you know Tesla you know maybe it only cost you know in the future ten thousand dollars to buy uh, a nice electric vehicle. Um, if you've already got a set of batteries, and then you just plug your your set of uh, you know generic batteries in, and uh, and away you go. Would that would that be kind of nice? Mm. I was just thinking randomly. You know how you can get the external batteries for your cell phone when your cell phone goes flat. I wonder if you end up getting one for a car that's on a trailer that you tow behind it to give you better range. <laughs> or you have something in the boot that you carry around that's just massive. You know, oh, hold on, I've just got to plug my portable battery in because I'm about to run out of charge. True. I was thinking randomly. Remember when we used to bite batteries to make them last longer? <laughs> Did you guys do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that just me? Really? Yeah. Well, it's when a, it ran out on a Walkman, you could bite it, like, not bite all the way through, just crunch it. Put, with, put a bit of pressure on it. And no, it yeah, would, yeah, yeah, and it gives it. You'd have at least 15 minutes. I can, just, I can just picture a battery exploding in the mouth or some, you know, acid oozing out or something. It's quite, and to, admittedly, I hadn't heard of this until I met my wife, because she does it. And I'd never heard of it either, and then she did it once. And it, yeah, it does work. It gives you a little bit more... Power, you just get, you chew and give them a couple of little dents and, and away you go. Seriously, it, it actually works. Will's tech so tip of that, the week. <laughs> that, that is New Zealand tech 
podcast top tip this week. So, Chew your hey, batteries. Thank you, everyone, for uh, for listening in and for joining us. Um, now, guys, where's the best place to track you down? I think, Nate, you've already shared your uh, Twitter handle with oh, us. Oh, best way is just at Nate. If, on Twitter. Yeah, just give yeah. me a message or I blog Excellent. on Geeks in as well. Excellent. You can find me at Will Fleming NZ. That's right. <laughs> no, no, don't even get me started. At Will Fleming NZ on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on my podcast website, mykiwilife.com. I've just started a vlog, so catch up with time outside of the pod. What do I get up to? That's on YouTube. You can uh, find me, Will Fleming Vlog. Come say hello. I will say hello back. This is real life, folks. I'm here for you. And how is my Kiwi life going for you, Will? I've been enjoying listening to uh, to the episodes. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If you're a little bit confused like I am about life and what's going on and why is everything kind of happening... We just sit down and talk about that, and I get guests who have a good track history of trying to find out this answer. So we ponder a bit of life, and it's going really good. Feedback is coming in that people are digging it. I was concerned that everyone would think I'm like Tony Robbins and uh, trying to. You're not like Tony Robbins. I'm a little bit like Tony Robbins, just a little bit. But um, that, <laughs> I'm nothing like Tony. <laughs> I'm as tall as Tony, though. Um, yeah, so people are getting back to me and they're saying, look, I like that it's just people talking. And so who are some of the guests that you've had uh, recently that you've really enjoyed uh, talking with? Look, I've had heaps of guests. We're up to like 28 of them. So I can't put my finger on one, but I can say we've had professors, doctors, I've had actors, um, quiz masters, all types of folk. Um, Bachelors. Bachelors. Yeah, you, what was the one you listened into? It was Nate? the, and admittedly, it was that the the name on the list that I'd recognise. Shows how many Kiwis I know. It was Art Green off the last yeah. last series of the Bachelor. Green, really good, yeah. really good. Well, it, and it was a more in depth discussion than you would hear, you know, in traditional sort of liked, media. It was quite down to. I liked right? it because it was very. I feel that when they get interviewed for like promo, there's a PR person there who's sort of nudging them, say this, don't say this. And it seemed to be a more of a candid sort of, you know, the the cameras are off sort of, dis- it's a sort of discussion you'd have if you met them at a bar and you're having a beer, which is, I think is just magic. Yeah. Just pretty relaxed, chilled out, chit chat. Yeah. And just um, honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Excellent. We'll keep that up. Will. Um, definitely enjoying you, uh, having you on the podcast, New Zealand network. So, uh, so thanks for that. Uh, anyone out there who is curious, about podcasting uh, definitely have a look at podcasts.nz uh, and and hit us up if you're interested in being involved in uh, in podcasting we've got a um, a pretty big lineup of people that are um, um, that are keen to launch podcasts with us so you'll be you'll be seeing some of those um, new podcasts launch over the next um, um, probably eight to twelve weeks we will see about three new podcasts uh, launched on the network. Um, if if not more so there, there's going to be a fair bit but uh, we're always keen to hear from people that would like to get into podcasting or already podcasting and uh, and want to connect well that's it that's us for this week so um, you can uh, you can get more details at nztechpodcast.com uh, feel free to hit me up at Paul Spain on on Twitter um, or through any of the other social networks uh, you know LinkedIn and, and Facebook uh, and so on so uh, yeah Great, uh, great to have you all listening. Uh, we do appreciate that you put aside the time to listen into New Zealand Tech Podcast each week. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.